0: And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert.
2: With September almost in the rear view, about halfway through, and October on the horizon, conference play, getting ready to get cranked up. It is a euphoric and exciting edition of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert. 24-7 sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, and together... What do we do? We talk college football each and every week for about an hour, hour 15, sometimes even longer. Depends on where it goes. We never really know. This is the most unformatted and yet kind of organized chaos college football podcast out there, I like to think. JC, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Mike. Uh, got a chance to watch a lot of football last weekend, a lot of different games, and um, I have a lot of thoughts about those. Uh, a lot of interesting uh yeah you know, there weren't a ton of big huge uh showdown type games but but there were a lot of I guess informative performances uh last weekend and uh I certainly learned I felt like I learned a lot uh out of this week uh as opposed to maybe the first two weeks.
2: Yeah, I would echo that. I, I don't think it was a a landmark week of games. I'm not sure this one is either. We'll get to that one uh as well. Although I, there are some to me there are a lot of diamonds in the rough this weekend unlike uh Unlike last weekend, you know, I was in Kentucky calling the uh, the Wildcats game and they got a big one coming up against Mississippi State. So I probably didn't see as many games as you did. And and our game was uh, simultaneous to. The, the biggest game on the board. And that was Auburn LSU. Uh, and let me just start off. I didn't have a lot of misses this week,
3: hmm.
2: but that, but that one surely led the way. Um, it's not that I thought Auburn would blow LSU out, but I certainly thought Auburn would win. I, I thought, I thought maybe we were overhyping the win over Miami a little too much mm-hmm. because I don't know if Miami's that good. And so uh, while I like the Joe Burrow story, well, I think he's exactly what they need. Kind of the anti Ryan Paraloo, the anti Jordan Jefferson, um, just a steady guy who lets the athletes makes plays and doesn't turn the ball over and beat you. Um, I, I still just thought Auburn was a better team and and I'm not sure they're not, but for whatever reason, this is the second year in a row they've lost to LSU the the year before. Of course, they, they blow what a 20 point lead, mm-hmm. um, this game, they, you know, they just got beat and uh, I, I the, what concerns me about Auburn going forward, we'll talk about what this means for LSU in a moment, but what concerns me about Auburn going forward, uh, you, one thing that always seems to get exposed in football, if if you've got one area that's shaky and that area is the offensive line, uh, you are going to get beat in at least one or two games because of it. And that's what would scare me. if if you're an Auburn fan and you're looking at that team under a microscope, there's a lot to like on offense on defense, but that was the one that was the biggest question mark coming in. And I thought it showed itself at times in that game against LSU. Jared Stidham did not have a great game, had a couple of turnovers, but it's amazing. You know, even the the most marquee of programs with the possible exception of Alabama, because they're running on a, just they're in a different level Every bar program, once in a while, has a year where they just can't block people, where they just can't win the point of attack. And I, I'd be concerned for Auburn if this is that year for them.
3: I, I'm with you. I, I thought, you know, going into this game, it it sort of unfolded like I felt it, it would. You know, LSU got up early, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you look up, and, and Auburn's up 21-10. to 10. And I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, that's probably – uh, how I thought the game I think I in my picks I'd pick 24-17 or something like that when I was asked to pick a score. So, you know, in my opinion, the game unfolded almost exactly like I thought it would uh until the end. And and, and here's why I think Joe Burrow uh and you mentioned he's exactly what they need. He sol- he, he solidifies that offense. I mean, it makes it a solid solid unit. Um I, I think quarterbacks uh and his stats weren't great. 15 for 34 isn't is uh, isn't a thing of beauty. Um, but quarterbacks that that keep playing and have that desire and that ability, when it's crunch time, to go make a play uh, to help their team win, I think that's good quarterbacking. Um, and I think that uh, Burrow did that, and I don't think Jarrett Stidham did uh, in this football game. Uh, on the offensive line, I, I think you're right, and I think that if you think about the time Stidham has struggled uh, during his Auburn career, Mike, uh, it's been when some of the defensive lines that Auburn faces uh, are really, really good uh, and they're not able to block. Uh, and And I thought last year's Auburn offensive line sort of came together uh, and you saw the offense really start being productive. Um, But you remember back to the Clemson game, you know, they they couldn't get anything going. He was sacked a bunch. Uh, They couldn't really get anything going in the SEC championship game against Georgia uh, because they had injuries at at running back or whatever. So I I feel like sort of as the protection goes, so does Jarrett Stidham. Um, And and I think – well, I think Auburn is a fantastic football team, and I think that their defense, you know, heck, just didn't have a good quarter uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but that's a dominating unit. Uh, I, I think I, I think that, you know, that there is some concern there. And when you're in the Southeastern Conference, um, particularly the Western Division, with all the great defensive lines you have to face, you have to face Mississippi State. Texas A&M has players. Uh, Ole Miss, probably not a great defensive line this year, but they do have athletes. Uh, even Arkansas has athletes on the defensive line, and certainly Alabama does. And so I, I think that uh, – when you have protection issues, uh, that's just not a good thing. And 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 when you have them over the course of a game against a good team, you're you're, you're going to struggle uh, with your offense, and and your offense is going to kind of hit a wall. Uh, and that's kind of what happened uh, for the second straight year against the Bayou Bengals. The Auburn Tigers hit a wall.
2: They did, and and. Uh, <laughs> I can only imagine. I, di- I didn't get a chance to listen to post game shows or look at message boards or anything else. But you know, if you want to, if you want to see the ultimate roller coaster of love hate with a, a a particular head coach with a particular fan base, it's Auburn and Gus Malzahn. Because when when things are going well, they love Gus. Of course, you know the Auburn really had to give him an extension last year. It was, they was they were painted inside of a a box when it looked like. Or a corner. If you're painting inside of a box, you're really got, you got double <laughs> problems. As a matter of fact, um, it, it it was to the point where they had to do something. And it's you know it's Gus for president, and blah 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 blah. And then of course they they get beat in the SEC championship game, and that ruins their chance at a playoff. And, and, and there's been so many times where they've fallen out of love with Gus, and when they do. What they focus on is that offense. You know, is it really? Is it time for to do something else? Because there are times where, look, I mean, there are times when you lose a game, any offense you run looks bad. But there are times where that offense does look anemic. The the passing game seems very pedestrian. Um, there's not a whole lot of complexity to it. it. It's it's not exactly Gus's mo to to light it up passing. I believe Jared Stidham, who's who's probably going to be an NFL quarterback in a different offense. And obviously with an offensive line, that's a little bit better could be lighting it up. Uh, But he's probably not going to do that at Auburn. Uh, that, That offense at times will frustrate you as a fan. When you win, you don't think about it. When you lose it, you really are forced to put it under a microscope and like, I don't know about this. Can we, can we not update some things? Can we not do some things? But look, that being said, don't want to overreact too much. They lost to a good LSU team that obviously has found lightning in a bottle. Give Coach O credit. he is, I think he's used the hot seat, the we-don't-get-no-respect card, which has become somewhat trite in athletics. But we're still talking about college kids. You can use stuff like that to motivate young men. And I think that combined with, again, they've always got athletes at LSU. We've talked about that. They're off to a terrific start. And, and now... I mean, in a lot of ways, they control their own destiny. Look, I'm still not buying stock that LSU is in the class of an Alabama, that LSU is a legitimate threat for a college football playoff. I'm not there yet. I know some people want to jump right to that, and they had a major ascension into the top ten of the polls, and that's great. Great story. Uh, Time will tell just how legitimate LSU is. One thing LSU has not had to do a whole lot of this year is really play from behind. I mean, they've they've started games off well, and they've – just kind of, they've been able to finish them. I want to see what Joe Burrow does in the third quarter when LSU's down 10 points, you know, how does, how does LSU react in that situation? And, and that to me will be a, a more telling uh, point there, but that was a game that kind of uh, led the way. And uh, like I said, I'll, I'll put that in the, in the miss column. I didn't have a whole lot of other misses and I'm not patting myself on the back. When I say that it's just, most of the games are pretty predictable. Um, I guess with the exception maybe of, of Texas, the way they whooped up on Southern Cal.
3: Yeah.
2: I, I, you know, the the margin of victory there. I Look, I don't think – I just don't think Coach Helton's going to last at Southern Cal. Mm, yeah. I, I, I just don't see that as a fit. They have athletes there. I, I think most people that follow the Pac-12 closely will tell you they are, if not the most talented team in the league, they're 1B behind Washington – and yet, they don't look like it when they get out there on the field. And I know it's a freshman quarterback who should be a senior in high school, and blah blah blah. Well, you had a chance to find other quarterbacks. It's not mm. like it's not like you were predestined to play an eighteen-year-old at quarterback. That's just how it worked out in the recruiting process and the depth chart and everything else. That's what you wound up with. So the the and and Southern Cal got off to a good start in that game, and then Texas just rolled them in the second half. Uh, I would say there were two results that should be well no I'd say there's one result that should be disturbing and I'll put it in the hit column because I picked Syracuse to win but if you're a Florida Mm. State fan you just can't ignore how bad your team looks and I know they have offensive line issues as well and you can make the case well look Willie Taggart's not out there blocking but someone questioned how much is Willie Taggart coaching He's his own offensive coordinator, and the offense looks putrid. They're making a penalty seemingly on every other play. They look disorganized. They've got a, a, a guy who could be an NFL talented quarterback, but you wouldn't know it. Uh, it got so bad that he wouldn't even let his offensive lineman help him up after sacks. Uh, there is problems in Tallahassee, and I know that sounds like a gross overreaction to just a few games, and it might be. But holy smokes, I can't imagine this starting much worse than it has for Willie Taggart at FSU.
3: It's certainly something that they're not used to uh, down there. I mean, you're talking about uh, the third coach uh, that this program has literally had uh, in 50 years. I mean, you know, they're not used to coaching transitions to begin with, and um, the two guys previous uh, did pretty good, you know. And so the expectations at Florida State are high. Uh, I did not think that losing to Syracuse to 7 uh, only even though it was on the road, uh, was acceptable. Uh, even with Florida State's offensive line issues, and they are bad. Don't get me wrong. They're terrible. Uh, the whole reason sometimes you run a tempo offense and you go fast and, and you try to get it down the field is when you do have offensive line issues. You get the ball out quick. Um, Get them to your playmakers in space, and, and that's kind of an equalizer. And Syracuse, it it is not a uh, dominant defensive line by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I, I sort of understand. You know, you think Virginia Tech, well, it's Bud Foster. You know, he's a a guy that's uh, good at X's and O's, and and in, in those big Monday night games, you know, that he spends all summer game planning for. Um, you know, he's that was kind of explainable. The Syracuse game was not explainable. Struggling with Samford was not explainable. Uh and, and it's gonna be a long year um in Tallahassee. And I don't I don't know that you blame Taggart's system because it, it sort of worked uh at, at USF, the Gulf Coast offense, I guess is what you call it. Um and it was theoretically supposed to work at Oregon, but but the, the red flag for me, his one year at Oregon, Mike uh, was was there were games where Oregon could not get it going offensively, uh, and, and they came at strange times, like against at home against Washington State, which watch you, the the Cougars don't, you know they're not known for their defense out in Pullman, so <laughs> you know that was kind of a red flag for me. Um, even at USF, his tenure got off to a terrible start. They lost to McNeese State fifty three to twenty one at home. Um, to, in the, in his opener down there, he made adjustments and ended, ended up turning it around. But I, my goodness, I mean, I, I I I've never thought he was like the rising superstar everybody said he was. I, I felt like you know, to me, he just he needed to prove prove it more over time at mm-hmm. at, at USF and uh, Western Kentucky too, because he kind of got out from west got out from Western Kentucky, went to USF you know, kind of before we could see sustained success. Um, so I don't know. I, I really have to question it. Um, it. It's about as bad as it could possibly be. Uh, I know he has a lot of fans out there uh, in the media, and um, I'm sure they'll all be pulling for him to uh, <laughs> to turn it around uh, quickly because um, the hype train has been derailed well, with this yeah. start. And that's well
2: said because – Sometimes it's so obvious. I mean, look, we're in a business where, for the most part, you're supposed to be objective and unbiased. Um, but let's face it. There are certain members of the media that pull hard for certain coaches and will convince you that they're good and that they deserve these incredible opportunities. And when things don't go bad, then they become it's almost like they're top of the line on the on the defense team. Um, we've seen this before. The difference is, compared to some of the others, I mean, Willie Taggart's track record, let me just go over this real quick. You mentioned Western Kentucky. His best year there, he was there three years. They played in a week conference. I think they started in the Sun Belt eventually. Now they're in Conference USA. Um, in the three years he was there, they went 16-20. and 20. His last year, they went 7-5. and five. They went to the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. Pizza, pizza. Uh, he did not coach in the bowl game. Thank you very much. That was great. I guess, I guess you got to be a certain age to remember that commercial <laughs> campaign. Like, if you're under 20, I can't help you. Um, he he didn't even coach in the uh, Pan Pan Bowl because he departed Western Kentucky for South Florida before the game. Then he goes to USF. And anybody knows anything about USF, whether it was the old Big East or now the American, USF, based in Tampa, is going to have superior to talent to most of the teams in their conference. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good job, and it's hard to not do well there. His first two years, he's two and eight and then two, excuse me, two and 10, and then four and eight. He has basically one kind of signature year, and that was his, last, his fourth year, because he was 24 and 25 there. He had a losing record at Western Kentucky. He had a losing record at South Florida. They go 10 and two. They go to the Birmingham Bowl, and of course he doesn't coach in that bowl game either, because he departs for the Oregon job. Then he goes to Oregon, who, by the way, is 3-0, and even though they haven't played anybody. But they're not exactly uh, going, boy, I wish we could have Willie Taggart back here in Eugene. Uh, goes to Oregon one year. They go 7-5. and five. They have a losing record in conference, 4-5 and five in the Pac-12. They go to the Las Vegas Bowl. And you guessed it, he didn't coach the bowl game there either because he departed for the Florida State job before the bowl game. So he's, technically he's led his teams to three mediocre bowl games in eight years and hasn't coached in a single one of those bowl games. His His career record is four or five games under five hundred uh a a less than stellar conference mark he was a player at western Kentucky he doesn't have a great track record as a coordinator and somehow we were supposed to be convinced that this this was clearly clearly a fantastic candidate for one of the most marquee jobs in college football and i just i mean I just sat there on the sideline and I kept not literally but figuratively um and I was like, I must be missing something. I, I must have missed th- th- something that's really spectacular that Willie Taggart did in his collegiate career to where everybody's talking about how great a hire this was. Yes, I get it. He's from Bradenton. Okay. Coach, he, he, he was a quarterback at Manatee High School. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know what? There's a lot of people that are in coaching that have ties to the state of Florida. Willie Taggart is not alone in that boat. Look, when they hired Jimbo Fisher. And I don't think you can take much away from what Jimbo did there. He won a national title. You know, they were routinely a contender for stuff. Obviously, eventually got surpassed by Dabo Sweeney and Clemson as the premier team in that league. But but Jimbo had a track record of being an elite coordinator at multiple stops. Willie Taggart has no such track record. Uh, I say all that not to pile on, but just to say I know Florida State fans. I know I have a pretty good uh, feel for that fan base. And I can tell you right now, this is not a five-year plan. this is not a four-year plan. And you better get something going, Willie, real quick, because that fan base will turn on you in a heartbeat, and you might be paying, you're making five million a year. Uh, the, I'm sure the buyout is substantial, but Florida State will gladly make a change here very quickly if this doesn't start to resemble. A a least legitimate college football offense. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. putrid to watch right now. It's just absolutely brutal.
3: Got Northern Illinois uh, coming in this weekend, and I believe is a uh, an Orange Bowl rematch from a couple of years ago when when the Huskies played the Seminoles uh, in the Orange Bowl. I think it was Dave Doran's team that uh, who was the stud running back they had. I I forgot. Yeah, made, made it to the NFL. He was good, too. He was very good, Really good yeah. player, kind of undersized, but 3.30 uh, p.m. kick on ESPNU uh, if you want to watch the, the train wreck to see if it fixes itself this weekend. But, I, I, yeah, I just – I don't know, you know. It, it, it's it's a deal where I was intrigued by bringing by, – by him bringing that style of offense to FSU with the type of athletes they have, but it, it just didn't work. And so um, – you know we'll see we'll see what ultimately happens there but I, I yeah that was a stunning uh score that i saw it,
2: i i saw syracuse winning the game and i was uh was actually working with a guy this weekend john congemi who was a, a teammate of Dan Marino's at Pitt, and he, he lives down there in south florida and he's He's another guy that kind of has his fingers on the pulse of those Florida schools. And he was like, Syracuse is going to win the game. Like he goes, I mean, they, they, there's no offense on Florida state. And I said, yeah, I could probably see that, but I didn't see a blowout Mm-mm. for cra- And Dungy, their starting quarterback didn't even play. He got hurt early in the game. And Syracuse won it with their, they blew out Florida state for the first time in about a half a century uh, with their backup quarterback. That's, that's amazing. Uh, the other one, this doesn't come as a surprise, JC, because you and I talked about it even going back to the summer. I think it was a popular upset pick, particularly by gamblers mm-hmm. uh, who really know the inside and outs, not just of the power five teams, but everybody. And there's a little something good going on in Denton, Texas, at North Texas, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. They're not contending for anything They're, You know, I mean, they're not nationally speaking, but they actually could wind up winning. Conference USA they do have some athletes over there they're well coached and they blew the doors off of Arkansas and this is not look Chad Morris what he inherited is a much different deal than what Florida State had coming in Mm -hmm. Uh, they had they had virtually no quarterback Cole Kelly has really struggled more on that in a moment but you know Arkansas goes into the game uh, this week they are like 30 point underdogs against Auburn on a Saturday night, it's, it, it's amazing how far it has gone down at Arkansas. I mean, I was there a year ago to do a game and yeah, Brett Bielma was on the hot seat and it was bad, but I, I don't know. I just, I never got the impression that it was this bad. It's you just got blown out by North Texas at your home stadium. Fans are booing morale has, I don't know if it could be much lower surrounding Arkansas football And Chad Morris, who does have a pretty good track record, he's got a lot of work cut out for him over there.
3: There's no doubt about it. Um, I, you know, most of the time when over the summer you you hear a lot of people talking upset, okay, ah, it's it's going to be an upset. This is a trap game. Nine times out of ten, you get to that game, and the the Power Five team has heard that all summer. And they make sure that, you know, they're focused and, and, and don't let up. And they're, you know, the better team. And they usually end up winning, even if it's a close game. Um, not in this case with Arkansas. <laughs> uh, not only did North Texas win pretty convincingly, uh, they kind of clowned them with that, uh, the, the, the punt play where the kid yeah. just kind of you know, stood there and acted like it was a fair catch. Everybody stops, and then he just runs. That uh, rule's going to change, touchdown. by the way. I bet it will, too. Yeah. I was like, eh, that's, that's kind of intent to deceive uh, right there a little bit. But, you know, Arkansas isn't just bad in terms of, you know, that game. I mean, they haven't uh, – first of all, they scheduled – for some reason scheduled a road game in Fort Collins, Colorado, against Colorado State. Hmm. They lost that, and uh, I think you know Colorado State's one in three this year. and doesn't have any defense. Uh, they did beat Eastern Illinois fifty-five to twenty to open the season, then lost to North Texas. And look at this coming up, Mike, at Auburn, at Texas A and M, and then Alabama comes to Fayetteville October sixth. Uh, I don't see another win on the schedule in, unless they can get Tulsa or maybe they outscore Ole Miss. But, uh, you know, th- their scheme is good. I think I think we all know Chad Morse is going to be able to run good offense, but no quarterback, not a lot of skill talent, and they're transitioning from sort of a ground-and-pound style of attack. Uh, and, and Bielema, to his credit, they did use some spread concepts later uh, in his tenure to just a wide-open, no-huddle type of deal. And it's just very difficult – uh, to make that transition given how the roster was put together so um, there have been some years where I've looked and, and kind of pondered uh, who is the worst team in the SEC West and it's it's tough to kind of pick that some years but I think we know yeah. I think we know this year uh, that it's the it's, it's the Razorbacks and um, and I hate that because they have such good fans and and all that I hate to see them struggling like this but uh, you know sometimes you got to hit rock bottom before you can bounce back up.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's a complete rebuild. I mean, it's just an absolute complete rebuild. And, uh, again, you know, I mean, that, uh, very often there's a coaching change for a reason, unless, of course, you lose your coach to a, a bigger job. In this case, that was not the case with Brett Bielma, who, I, I you know, there's a lot of people now that will say, I knew that was a bad hire all along. I don't know where those people were when they got him, because I think most people thought the fact that they got him away from Wisconsin coming off, very successful seasons in madison i think most people thought that was a coup for for the ad at the time to to get him uh, and at times it looked like maybe maybe it could go the right way but it it just didn't and then so often now i mean the, the the snowball effect i think is greater than it's ever been because of social media and because every game's on national television you you just can't hide from an off year and it it just becomes so the pressure uh, becomes so overwhelming, and I, and I think you just the program just kind of eats itself out. If if that makes any sense, it just mm-hmm. it it's it it's like a, a bad virus internally, and yeah. it just it, it you just can't stop it. And that's what happened. You see it happen a lot now, and that's what happened at Arkansas to the point where you you just you had to make a change. I think they made a good hire. Uh, and look, Arkansas, and I've talked about this a number of times, and I've been out there a number of times. And you know, whenever I'm out there, you and I have a, uh, a guy we have a lot of respect for does a daily talk show there, uh, Bo Mattingly. And, oh yeah, I mean, old, old Bo has got to talk about mm. Arkansas football every day, and it's probably not unlike you know, those who have done shows in Columbia, South Carolina, talk about South Carolina every day. Like, wh- what is the ceiling? What's realistic, right? I mean, you don't have the tradition of winning. National titles or even conference titles. So, what is what is reality? What what should your fan base look at as the ultimate um, realistic goal? And for Arkansas, I don't know what it is. You know, they've only they, they it's, it's both those schools, ironically enough, entered the conference in the same year in '92. Um, Arkansas did have a, a rich tradition. You know, we're talking about a national championship, and of course, the Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson team back in the day. Uh, the old Southwest conference they are battling all those Texas schools and doing quite well. Now you're in the sec and you're in the, the toughest division in college football, (laughs) which might get even tougher if Texas A&M finally solves that riddle. And I just don't know where Arkansas's place in the hierarchy of sec football is ever going to be. You know, I I mean, I Petrino, that was a blip on the radar. Um, And since then, you know, what, what is reality is reality Petrino or is it where they are now? Or is it somewhere in the middle? I think it's in the middle. I mean, I think a realistic goal for Arkansas football, if they're if they're really going well is eight wins, you know, an eight and four season Arkansas, man, you're getting it done. You're getting it done. But in terms of getting back to an sec championship game, like they did in what 95 under Danny Ford, Madre Hill and those guys, uh was Clint Sterner the quarterback then? I think so. Clint um, Sterner
3: was the quarterback. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was um Danny Ford's team and then they also went in 03 and in 06. They oh. went in 6? They lost uh that was actually the cuz cl- uh, they got blown out by Florida 34-3 in, Gosh, in, in, in 95 uh. and then they they played uh Georgia That was Mark Rick's first SEC championship team. Right, right. uh, And got blown out 30 to (laughs) 3. Yeah. And then I was actually living in uh, right up the road here in uh, Gainesville, Georgia uh, that year. And, um, Seems like every time I move to Georgia, the Bulldogs uh take it up a notch. So maybe that's uh, and, and I I moved to I moved back to Greenville, South Carolina and, and Clemson starts playing for national championships. So I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty pretty good uh pretty good luck for some of these guys. Obviously. And and then that that, that was Urban Myers first national championship team. Uh thirty eight twenty eight was the final. Gators beat the, the the Hogs. That was that was one of Houston nuts. Uh, last Houston nut. Uh, last good teams, and then I guess that Petrino, Darren
2: McFadden. I guess Felix Jones, those yes. guys,
3: and yeah. then uh, uh, then gosh, he was he was fired the the next year, and they brought right. in Patrino. And look, Patrino had you know those the the oh nine twenty ten and twenty eleven Arkansas teams were as good as anybody. It's just. You know Alabama and Auburn were winning national championships right. uh, during that time, and that's the problem, Mike. And, and, and with that, with the with the with the, the Razorbacks, uh, and I, I, you know, Brett Bolima. You know, everybody talked about him um, because SEC fans follow recruiting and recruiting rankings and all that good. So how can they recruit? Blah blah blah. The plan to build an SEC West contender at Arkansas is the same plan that there is to build a contender at Wisconsin. Um, and Bulima did a great job of that at Wisconsin and brought most of his staff with him. And, boy, they got off to a great start. Sam Pittman was his offensive line coach, one of the best in the country, and just like he's doing now at Georgia. Uh, he was going to Hawaii, and uh, got they got Frank Ragnow out of Minnesota. They got Denver Kirkland. Out of Florida, they beat Alabama on a big offensive tackle from St. Louis. You know, Sam Pittman was getting it done and building the offensive line that they need. Uh, they were also going down uh, to South Florida and getting guys just like they did when they were at Wisconsin. And you know, because you're from there, there's a lot of good players in South Florida. Alex Collins came from South Florida. Um, you know, and and he was that first class. You know, because they had recruited him a little bit at Wisconsin. You know, he made a huge impact, and, and and so they were building it. Then he started having some staff changes. I think Charlie Part- Partrick took the FAU or FIU job, one of those jobs down there, uh, and there went his South Florida recruiter, and he didn't replace him with a South Florida recruiter. Um, you know, they didn't really get into Texas a whole lot. So, so their their player pool sort of dried up. Um, they almost started going and recruiting, like, second-tier guys out of Louisiana which uh, if you're Mississippi State and you, you go get Dak Prescott, great. But that's usually, I mean, you're going to beating two lane on kids. Um, in some cases, Ole Miss. Uh, you know, you, you can't find enough guys that way. You have to go into Texas. You have to find talent pools. So, so, so it's not only a roster, Mike, that wasn't built to do what Chad Morris is doing. Uh, it's a roster that really fell apart on Bolima after a good start. So, um, they got issues out there. Hogs play, uh, as Mike said, they play Auburn this weekend on the plains, and it's probably going to get ugly pretty quick, uh, as Gus Malzahn faces his home state or his, the school where he used to, you know, Malzahn is from, he's from Texas. He spent most of his life in Arkansas, but he's from Texas, but I'll call it his home state team. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, uh, had it not been for Auburn's finish to the regular season last year, we could be we could be saying this about Gus Malzahn struggling uh, up there in Fayetteville.
2: If you change the results of two regular season games last year for Gus Malzahn at Auburn, he's at Arkansas right now. It's it's his problem that that and instead of getting a huge extension and staying at Auburn, which is clearly much more equipped to win right now, uh, he he's probably in Fayetteville and trying to figure out how we're we going to scratch out one conference victory this year. That's amazing, it just the, the paper-thin margin that these guys live by in coaching in terms of where they're going to be, whether or not they're fired, or whether or not they're getting a contract extension. Uh, it all can come down to one or two games. It, it, it's amazing. I will say this. i would forgotten it was as recent as 06, even though I remember that team well in terms of the great backfield they had. Uh, not to mention, what, Peyton Hillis, who had the great mm-hmm. year with the Browns. Yeah. Um, uh, we, I, it's almost like you got to put an asterisk by a lot of these things and say pre-Saban, right? I mean, that was a different Western division. Alabama was going through three questionable coaching hires. Auburn was going through some stuff. It clearly was not Auburn that we know. And, uh, you know, LSU – LSU? Do they have Saban yet? I'm trying to think.
3: Yeah, they had. They, they had. This was the Les Miles. Uh, it, well, it was, uh, was post Saban. It was after. Sabin, it was right? post Saban. Yeah, yes, and LSU yeah. won the 2007 national title, and that was Saban's first year back as. Uh, there you go. As uh, there the there coach of Bama.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, of course, Nick Nick certainly left old Les Miles with with a pretty good. Uh, situation in baton rouge but mm-hmm. anyway i i i find that stuff fascinating just trying to figure out there's some programs that are really hard to to get a feel i mean i used to make the analogy with arkansas back when they were decent now this is this doesn't even hold water anymore um but i used to say they're they're kind of like helen hunt remember helen hunt mad about you oh yeah remember? Hey, helen hunt had a nice career there um it was but for me it was like helen hunt like you you don't know if you find her attractive, and if, if you do, you're not sure how how far you do, to, to what extent. You know, that was like Arkansas for me. I could never get a feel on whether or not I thought Arkansas was was very good or a threat to do much. This is back when they had talent. Now, of course, and I'll just say one more thing in closing on Arkansas. The, the Cole Kelly situation, look, he, he struggled. It's, it's not a good situation there. Fans are booing relentlessly. Fans booing the team coming out of the locker room. If you haven't already heard it, Nowadays, anybody can just go on the internet and go on YouTube or whatever, and and go ahead and listen. But they have a player by the name of Jared Cornelius, who's been a when he's healthy, a really good player at Arkansas, wide receiver. I was so impressed with what he said at the podium post game. This is where a lot of kids of lesser character start turning on one another, start backstabbing, start mm-hmm. laying down and quitting. All that swagger that you always like to hear about, mm-hmm. that swagger turns into give up and let up, uh, in a lot of cases, this is a kid that certainly deserves a better fate. You know, he's, he's an academic honor roll guy. He's a, a great player. And he's been there for four years. He's gone through a lot and it'd be easy for him to just kind of be short with the media. And it gets a question about they're booing his quarterback at half. And he could just say, you know, it is what it is, man. He goes out there and gives a two minute answer Basically saying, look, that's somebody's kid that that that's that's one of your own. That's he's wearing an Arkansas uniform. He's one of my teammates. He's one of my brothers basically saying shame on you if you're the ones that were booing him. I was so impressed by that. I I, just just Google it, YouTube it, whatever. Jared Cornelius. I wish we saw more of that in college football because you want to talk about character. That's character. That's standing up for something
3: i agree and i like jared cornelius I liked him when i covered him as a recruit i think he's a heck of a player um and does deserve a better fate like you said you know i mean this is a guy that uh you know has played his butt off um for arkansas who had a tough year last year with an achilles injury um and is back and trying to help his team compete and win football games and um you know, uh, he's right uh, about that. I'm not a big fan, and I know some fans are gonna boo. Um, and and look, uh, you boo the performance of the team because you lost about 27 at home to North Texas. Yeah, that's that's fine. Uh, but you don't boo players. You know, I I don't think, and and I'm not a big fan of booing college kids at all. Mm-hmm. Um. But if you're going to boo, boo the team, boo the score. I mean, don't, 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 don't sit there and call out players. You know, did, did I ever think Cole Kelly was great? No, I thought he's going to be pretty good in Bolima's offense and in that system. But in this system, no, no, they need a guy. You need a guy, quite frankly, that can run around. And tie Story, I think, starting this week, and he's not really what I'd call a mobile guy. Um, but they they need a they need a dual threat guy, uh, in my opinion. Um, hmm you know, to to, to, to to kind of be an equalizer while they're trying to get everything together. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. But you're, you're right. You're right. Arkansas has always been an enigma uh, since they've been in the SEC. Uh, I don't think you and I are alone in feeling that way. Uh, but I think we I think we know where they're at now. And that's uh, that's at the bottom of that division, uh, looking up at the other six teams. I'll just throw one
2: one final game in there. And if I've if any uh, slip through the cracks that you want to touch on JC just just add on to it but um, Ole Miss Alabama uh, <laughs> I, I knew there was no chance Ole Miss's defense I just seen it the week before they weren't even going to contain Alabama on offense that was almost a pick your number I did think however that an offense that has at least three first round draft picks not including their quarterback who's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football in Jordan Tamu I thought they'd be able to get more than seven. And sure enough, they score on the first play of the game, hmm. a deep touchdown pass. And you're saying to yourself, OK, OK, maybe we got a shootout, if nothing else, because Ole Miss was not never going to stop Alabama from scoring at least 50. No way. No mm-hmm. how. Yeah. If there if there was a one team over under, I would have bet the house on that one. But I did think Al. this is the second year in a row where a pretty good Ole Miss offense just was anemic against Alabama defensively. Uh, And look, we all know Alabama's defense. It is what it is. It's, it's stellar. It's outstanding. It is every year, but I I thought they'd be able to piece together a couple of big plays, not just one. I thought maybe Ole Miss could somehow squeeze out 17 to 20. They scored that quick seven and it was goose eggs the rest of the way. Uh, So this is no newsflash. Ole Miss doesn't play good defense. Alabama is outstanding. Alabama's offense is probably the best of the Saban era. And that's a scary statement because they've only won five national titles. But I think Tua just (laughs) – he is – he's got the God-given ability that a lot of those other kids that are sitting there with national championship rings from Alabama don't have. He's ridiculously accurate. Uh, Yes, he's athletic, but I'm convinced if he he didn't leave the tackle box – he'd still complete close to 70% of his passes mm-hmm. and be one of the most lethal quarterbacks in college football. He's just that good, which goes back to, I, I thought it was laughable. As I called it, it was the biggest non-story story, the battle with he and Jalen Hurts. And I, I know a lot of people view Jalen Hurts as kind of a victim in all this, but sometimes you just get beat out by somebody that's better. That's, that's true in sports. That's true in life. And this kid is just better. He's better than most of the guys playing college football right now at the quarterback spot.
3: I, I think he's the best quarterback in the SEC, um, and I had him there uh, over the summer. Um, and I think he's the, probably the best quarterback in the country, Mike. I mean that that long touchdown pass to Judy. That, I mean, the the winning pass in the title game was great. Uh, that pass to Judy against Ole Miss Saturday night, I was like, man. I mean, it just came out like a like a laser. Right down the field, he put enough right just enough loft under it to where the guy ran right under it and it was a big play uh, he's money on third down um and I understand he has a great supporting cast i i, I do i get that i mean everyone's well he's got all these great players around him yeah he does but you, you still you know if you're not accurate throwing the football um, and that's kind of what did Jalen hurts in in this situation, and you don't run the right plays and you're out there making mistakes and you're not playing well as a quarterback, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of supporting cast you got. You still have to go out there and play. Um, I thought, you know, when I look at uh, the Ole Miss offense uh, since Dan Werner left, and Dan Werner was their former OC and uh, under Hugh Freeze, and then they kind of had a parting of ways, and, you know, he went to Alabama for a year and then came back. I mean, it, it's been yeah the last two years with um old miss um new so uh, i guess longo or phil longo is his name mm-hmm. um and he's he's lit up a lot of teams uh but sixty six three and sixty two to seven yeah those aren't those aren't pretty scores uh right there and uh and old miss uh prior to that they they could, they would they'd give alabama trouble alabama had trouble stopping them so um you know i i, I guess with uh With Longo, maybe he hadn't figured out the the Bama riddle yet and Bama's kind of got more of a beat on him than maybe they did when Warner was there. Or maybe it's just because maybe it just has really nothing to do with scheme and, you know, Bama's just uh, made a transition to faster linebackers and faster defenders and they're more equipped to to stop spread teams now. I don't
2: know. Well, and I will say this, uh, in fairness to Phil Longo, in, in those two wins that Ole Miss had, you know, when, when they're calling plays under the old regime, they're not playing from 30 points behind in the first half. Yeah. So, I mean, Ole Miss at that point just becomes insanely predictable. And if you're going to, if you're going to be predictable against a Nick Saban defense, good luck with that. You know, the two wins that Ole Miss had, you know, they kept that a relatively lower scoring game. And so it, 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 you, you weren't having to play catch up and you just don't play from behind against Alabama and win that's that's a recipe for disaster.
3: Uh, any other games that, that stood out to you before we start looking ahead? Well, you know, some of the little guys. Uh, I called them the little guys because uh, it was it was kind of the day of the little guy. Uh, big shout out and um, and on my uh, one of my other podcasts I do the Pos Show, which is politics or sports. You can catch that on iTunes as well. It's shameless self promotion there. Um, I gave my True Champion award to Terry Bowden uh, because akron beat a big 10 team for the first time since 1894 uh and, and beat northwestern and i don't know what's happened to northwestern they got the win over purdue and then you know since then they got they got skunked by duke at home and then akron comes and beats them so that's not good you know missouri purdue sort of went like i thought it would missouri doesn't play defense they're not playing defense any better this year Gave up 572 passing yards to the Boilermakers, who were 0-3 but did show signs of life. Um, you know, Florida beating Colorado State, I thought that was a nice rebound, uh, especially considering Colorado State uh, beat an SEC team in Arkansas the week before. I I tell you this, look out for Duke. Break up the Dukies. They uh, they went out to Waco and beat Baylor 40-27, to uh, they're three and zero, and they've won in Evanston, Illinois, and Waco, Texas, the last two weeks. Which, uh, yeah, I know Northwestern's struggling, and Baylor certainly is a rebuild right now. But um, you know, congratulate Duke. I don't even think Duke's starting quarterback played, so uh, <laughs> that was good. Um, Paul Johnson hot seat. I think that talk's <laughs> going to heat up, which I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't think anybody's sad about. They're going to get hammered by Clemson. They lost to Pitt, yeah, and then Clemson's coming to town this weekend, so that's not going to be – that's going to be good. Congratulations to Neil Brown and Troy beating Nebraska in Absolutely, Nebraska. Yeah. And then San Diego State upsetting Arizona State the, the week after Herm Edwards was the talk of college football. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting as well oh, and, 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 and Oklahoma State beating Boise State as bad as they did I thought I thought that was an impressive performance by the Cowboys Neil Brown uh, he, You don't
2: even need to polish the resume Because cause every AD of a Power 5 school that's looking to make a change Already has it uh, Remember they beat LSU at LSU last year Which at the time looked like a, a death nail for, for Coach O they, I think, they got about a million dollars for that win. They picked up about nine hundred, nine hundred and fifty. So uh, you might want to stop scheduling Troy, folks. Mm-hmm. As I, as I always say, not all Group Five schools are built the same. Not all FCS schools are built the same. If you want to pick up an automatic win, uh, you don't do it against North Dakota State and the FCS, and you don't do it against Troy in the Sun Belt. Uh, you know, I could pick some other schools that you just. Just you can find easier wins. I can find you some I can find you some big 10 schools that might be an easier uh, matchup than Troy is right now. So uh, but remember the name Neil Brown, because he he couldn't be much hotter right now. You know, and I, I thought the windows for Jeff Braum and P.J. Fleck. Now I'm not ruling out the fighting flexters They got a, a chance to go four and zero this week, yeah. but uh, but their window to get that that marquee job. Yes, they got power five jobs, but a marquee job where you can really win right away. Sometimes that window is quick, and if you don't, if you're not able to jump through it, it doesn't come back. Uh, I think Neil Brown he's going to get that opportunity to not just get a power five job, but one you can actually win at uh, in in the near future. So that'll be interesting to watch. Before we look at um, The week that is ahead, week four, I want to mention the great folks at BP Skinner's, BPSkinnerClothiers.com. I've been telling you about them now for almost a year, and so many of my experiences with with Brent Skinner had been through his store. But as I always tell you, it doesn't matter where you're listening to this podcast. He's going to come to you. If you want to go ahead and truly enhance your wardrobe, get the best custom-made suits that you can have at a good price, best uh, jeans, casual shirts, shoes, accessories, ties, everything. you got to come to your house. And I finally had that happen just a couple of days ago. Instead of going to the store, he came here to Atlanta, came to my front door. He's got like four suitcases of stuff. <laughs> He's got all kinds of patterns for me to choose from and custom made shirts and suits. And I mean, it was like remember when you were a kid, like when you heard that, the little music chime the ice cream man was was down your block right mm-hmm. and you you just you're you're looking to scrounge up some some uh, some dollar bills so you can go ahead and buy your strawberry shortcake or your your uh what's the, what's the the nutty buddy Nutty oh, no. buddy yeah. Oh god nutty buddies were good I digress I'm getting hungry now but anyway he came by spent hours at the uh, homestead just going through uh, and making sure that I was comfortable with the selections, giving me so many good options, and I didn't even have to get up and go anywhere. <laughs> We're getting to the point now in our society where we, we expect everything to be delivered, right? I mean, we call, we go to Amazon and Amazon Prime, and boom, it's at your door in two days. Well, in this case, you don't have to go to a men's clothing store, and if you do, I would suggest you don't go to your local chain stores because you're going to get that kind of quality if you want maximum quality brent skinner's your guy doesn't just help me help so many people across the country whether it's regular businessmen people in the media that you see on television coaches players helps them all go to the website bpskinnerclothiers.com set up appointment and just like me he will come to your front door tell him mike sent you tell him you heard about it on the jc and morgan podcast that puts him in a good mood which trust me will be good things for you all right jc we're Looking ahead to week four, and you know how, like, sometimes game day, which has come like an institution now. It's, it's, it's automatic viewing for me on a Saturday morning. We, we try to come up each weekend has like, a, you know, showdown Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, uh, separation sat. we got to have, like, a cute little nickname for it. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, this weekend isn't good enough for that kind of nickname. There's not that many marquee games. I I hate to say that two weeks in a row, but that's just the truth. However, I do have a bright spot for those of you that are going to be parked on the couch watching 10, 12 hours of college football. And you're saying, wait a minute, there's not many great games. I'm calling this Sneaky Good Saturday. Sneaky Good. Sneaky Good Saturday. Because there are a lot of games that are not going to have any national championship implications that are still very important to their respective fan bases and I think could be meaningful games not only for this weekend but for the rest of the season in terms of the outlook outlook for the rest of the way. All right, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Kentucky-Mississippi State, sneaky good game potentially if Kentucky shows up. Mississippi State is a road team, 10-point favorite over Kentucky. 3 0 Kentucky, the same Kentucky team that won in the swap when they were a two touchdown underdog. Now they're at home and they're another double digit dog. I'm, I'm telling you what, if Terry Wilson shows up and he's semi accurate, they're going to be able to get some plays in the running game, I'm convinced. Snell is just that good. That's no knock on Mississippi state. Snell is just that good. He's an NFL running back. It's not a great Kentucky defensive line, but it's an improved defense. It's the most athletic team that Mark Stoops has had in Lexington. I think this can be a sneaky, good game. I'll be curious what happens there. Uh, Georgia, Missouri. Yeah. Okay. George is probably going to win, but if you just like to see good on good, drew Locke might be the number one pick in this upcoming draft. He's going up against a Georgia defense that is salty. I want to see what Drew Locke does. Remember, Drew Locke fared pretty well against that, those dogs last year. That was not a low-scoring game, even though Georgia won it. So that, to me, is sneaky good. I, I'll watch that. That, that, that. I'll go ahead and I'll tune in for that. South Carolina Vanderbilt, yes, sneaky good. The Fighting Masons against a, a South Carolina team that hasn't played in two weeks. The, the lasting memory was a blowout loss at home to Georgia. Is Jake Bentley ready to make that next step? Is Vanderbilt ready to make that next step? It's only a two-point spread right now in Nashville. The Gamecocks a slight favorite. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll take some time to watch that one. I think that can be a sneaky good game. TCU-Texas intrigues me. I don't mm-hmm. think that's even that sneaky. Uh, I wanna, this could be a turn-the-corner moment for the Texas program if Tom Herman and company can knock off TCU. That'd be huge to me. If they can do it, uh, Arizona State, Washington. You mentioned Arizona State. You know the the love fest for Herman Edwards, kind of came a little bit of a crashing halt. Well, it could be right back there, Herm for president, if they can upset Washington on the road. Yeah, maybe you can give that you play to win the game speech. That I mean, I know that motivates me every day. Uh, me too, of course. Other sneaky good games. Uh, how yeah, I'm going to throw this in there, and it, it's it sounds. Uh, it, it sounds preposterous to do it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Florida-Tennessee. This used to be must-see television. It was. It was once the determiner. I swear it was. For those of you like under the age of 25, this was the game that actually determined the Eastern Division of the SEC for 10 consecutive years from 1992 to 2001. Now I just want to see which team shows signs of life for the future you know, which, which team, I know Felipe Franks has piled up some numbers against two fairly bad teams. Uh, and then in the biggest game, he didn't provide a whole lot against Kentucky. So which Felipe Franks are we going to see in Knoxville, which Garantano are we going to see in Knoxville? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Tennessee's defense going to be able to stymie the mediocre offense of the Gators. I don't know. It's like the, the resistible force against the movable object. I I've still, I can't help it. Uh, this, t- this to me is still an intriguing game. Uh, and, and you're still trying to figure out which one of those programs is moving up a little bit and I'll throw out one more. And I, I kind of uh, referenced it earlier, the fighting flexters of Minnesota trying to go four and Oh, it's a noon kickoff. Over there at Maryland, Crabs, Crab Cakes and Football. That's what they do over there in Maryland. The Terps are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. If the Fighting Flex get it done, look out. Everybody will be excited about Minnesota football once again. So that's what I mean when I say sneaky good Saturday. These aren't marquee games. You know, you don't have two playoff contenders going against one another. But I'll actually take some of those games over A&M-Alabama because, honestly, I you know I think Bama is going to wipe the floor with A and M even though A and M looked good against Clemson I just think that A M M is going to be humbled on that three thirty CBS game.
3: Right now I think it's Alabama and everybody else. There's there's a big difference between from what I've seen out of Bama through three games and and what I've seen out of Clemson Ohio State and Georgia uh, through three games. Yeah, you mentioned Maryland Minnesota. So the Terps, Matt Canada. Uh, trying to do his best Ed Orgeron impersonation as a great interim <laughs> head coach, which by the way, Bruce Feldman tweeted this a couple times over. The, Ed Orgeron is twenty four and eight as a head coach since getting fired at Ole Miss. Wow, twenty four and eight—that's a pretty good record. Not bad. One of those losses is to Troy at home, but uh, true. You know, twenty four and eight—that's that's, that's not so. Uh, so they beat Texas, they beat Bowling Green, and then Temple. And this is not the Steve Adazio Temple or the Matt Rule Temple. You know, this is a Jeff Collins Temple, and they hadn't hadn't done that well. Temple beats them by three touchdowns at Maryland. Um, so the Gophers, I think, going in will be uh, very solid. This, this TCU Texas game, I think, is it because one of the th- one of the problems Texas has had uh, is that TCU has, you know, since coming into the Big Twelve. Um, TCU has won five out of the six meetings between the Longhorns and, and Horned Frogs. Uh, historically, Texas leads that series sixty-two to twenty-five. So you know Gary Patterson has really uh, been able to, to, and they haven't just won. Mike, I mean, the last four meetings: TCU forty-eight to ten, TCU fifty to seven, TCU thirty-one to nine, and TCU twenty-four to seven last year. I mean, they. That, TCU has been thumping Texas, thumping them in this series. And that's got to kind of stick in the crawl, uh, of the Longhorns. That would, that would, that would, that'd be very similar to like Mississippi state having a long streak of dominance against Alabama. Uh, for those of you that kind of want the the, the comparison there. Uh, but when a program's in the wilderness, things like that happen. And I, I don't know that Texas is quite out of the wilderness yet. Um, you know, Penn State having to play a Friday night game over at Illinois. Illinois was competitive against South Florida more so than I thought they would be. Um, Levy Smith has a fantastic beard. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Friday night game that, that I'm looking forward to seeing is FAU at UCF. Um, Lane Kiffin and his Owls go up to Orlando to play the Knights, who are number 16 in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Georgia and Missouri. I, I, I think Missouri is going to have trouble. Uh, and they, they put 28 up last year in Athens. Um, I think they're going to have trouble, you know, repeating that. Uh, and I think Missouri's defense may actually be worse this season <laughs> than, it, than it was last year. And that's not good. It's not good when you're trying to stop the dogs. <laughs> and uh, that's that's going to be – Notre Dame at Wake Forest is kind of interesting to me. Uh, Wake Forest playing some pretty good football. Notre Dame has had three games, three wins. They're kind of all the same, 24-17 over Michigan, 24-16 over Ball State, 22-17 against Vandy. Uh, Akron's playing at Iowa State, so Terry Bowden has a chance to shock rising coaching super superstar Matt Campbell. It's Two um, Terry
2: Bowden references in one podcast. This is a new record.
3: I love Terry Bowden. Man, he, he, when, when he was on the radio down in Orlando when he was out of coaching, he he, he had me on his show. So, and I, ah. I, I, I respect I, I respect him for more reasons than that, though. Because the guy the guy was at Auburn, okay, and good. I covered him there and was good. Yeah, um, and people uh,
2: forget he won twenty of his first twenty two yes. games at Auburn. Twenty of his first. Now it's overshadowed because they were on probation. Yeah. But they he was twenty one and one. That's how he started his career in the SEC.
3: Had a uh outstanding um start at Auburn. And then then they went back uh to the SEC title game, I think, in ninety seven and lost by a point, I think, to Tennessee. Um I think that was Tennessee. that Damian Craig? Damian Craig. Um yeah. and 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 then the guy uh, you know, gets fired. Uh, a lot of coaches get fired at Auburn, <laughs> and uh, you know there was a lot there was a lot um, without getting
2: into everything yeah I know there everybody. was a lot into that whole situation there
3: was a lot of talk all right a lot, so, of, a lot of talk yeah so, so he's out of coaching for eleven years and takes the north alabama job right and then wins at North Alabama and then takes one of the worst mac jobs there is Akron and 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 look i'm not saying he's won a ton of games at Akron, but he's, you know, he's, I mean, they, they've they had some exciting moments with the Zips and their kangaroo, their kangaroo Zippy, mascot My
2: favorite, former mascot of the year, by the way, Zippy, the mascot. I know this cause I've done the Mac championship game and I've met the actual Zippy. It's one of my proudest photographs that I have.
3: That's an Yeah. I, I, <laughs> he's a, it's a great man. I mean, he was 29 and nine at North Alabama. Um, and then Akron, his first year was twenty twelve. He's actually been at Akron seven years. Um, wow! He went one and eleven his first year. Then in two thousand fifteen, he led the Zips to the famous Idaho Potato Bowl out there Love in it. Boise. And then last year, they were seven and seven and won the division. uh and went to the Boca Raton Bowl. I think I think they played uh, Fau there. But um, look. So hats off to him. Uh, they got a really big challenge at Iowa State, who I, you know, we didn't mention this, but who gave Oklahoma fits again, again. after yeah. after they won in Norman last year. Um, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech at, at Old Dominion is interesting because I think it's a big deal for Old Dominion to get the Hokies to come over there to play. That is cool. Um, I, I don't, Back
2: in you know. in Norfolk.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know that, that Old Dominion has a chance to win, um, but uh, hey, they uh, they um. They get a big home game, uh, and that's good. You know, you mentioned Florida and Tennessee. I I, I feel like Florida is about ten points better personnel-wise than Tennessee right now. But that game being in Knoxville and being a primetime kickoff, and, you know, these are not – you know, this is a, a game between a team that went four and seven and a team that went four and eight last year. And they've sort of started off – like a team that went 4 and 7 a team that went 4 and 8 last year with new head coaches. I think it's critical cuz I, I think if the Vols can find a way to win, that's uh, you know that kind of puts the brakes on th- this murder you know they have a murderers row of games coming up. I mean, you got Georgia, you've got Alabama, you have got Auburn, you've got South Carolina uh all coming up after this Florida game. I mean, they they go to Athens next weekend, Auburn 2 weeks later. Bama comes to Tuscaloosa, then they go to Columbia on the 27th. So that, that's a tough, tough stretch uh, for Tennessee. But if you get a win here and you go to 3-1, and one, you know, that kind of – you've got some games down the stretch against, you know, Vandy, Kentucky, Missouri, and Charlotte. Then you, you think maybe even if things don't go your, your way during that stretch, you may, maybe you can get to a bowl. And if Pruitt can get this team to a bowl in, a first, in the first year, that's a hell of a coaching job in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought six and six would be best case scenario for Tennessee this year. And, and look, Tennessee doesn't have a true in-state rival with all due apologies to, to Vanderbilt. This game is, is right near the top of their schedule every year. And it's well documented, even as Florida has been mired in relative mediocrity uh, over a good portion of the last decade. They still have managed to dominate this rivalry. So if you want to get some good will with your fan base in a short amount of time, again, this game doesn't mean nearly as much as it used to to anybody else outside these two fan bases. Uh, it means a ton for Tennessee fans if they can win it because in a season that's not going to have a whole lot of highlights, this is something you circle the wagons around in recruiting and in, in public speaking when you're working the circuit and you're saying, look, I, I'm telling you, we're, we're going places. We're already surpassing Florida. Uh, the, the day and age where we weren't on the same playing field, that, that, that's done. That's done. I'm, I'm getting it back to where Fulmer had it. I'm going I'm to get to this program back to where it was in the 90s, the early 2000s. It, it, you could, you've got something to rally around because most of those games that you mentioned, in my estimation, are not winnable for Tennessee based on talent.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's a, it's a brutal stretch. I mean, you know, so I I I I this game obviously it's not, you know, it doesn't have the national implications that it once did, but for Tennessee and their fans, it's huge. And I mean, and then think about how they went down last year. I mean, they, they come, you know, that they struggle all day, they come all the way back and tie it. I thought Tennessee actually outplayed Florida the the, the second half john kelly was running it well and then felipe franks throws a missile probably the best pass of his career yeah Uh, and they went he
2: could throw it far nobody's ever doubted that right
3: they won. they and they went it on the last play i mean the play of the game so tennessee has won this game once that was in 2016 uh since the the urban meyer era began at florida the zucker yeah, you know, Spurrier lost his last game to Tennessee and that's been well documented in 01 the the Zucker comes in and and Florida wins their the first meeting uh, up in Knoxville 30 to 13. That was a pretty impressive win. I remember watching that. Tennessee beats them back to back years in 03 and 04. And the 2016 win by Butch Jones uh, over Jim McElwain was the uh <laughs> was the only other time they've won? I mean, Will Muschamp was undefeated at Florida against Tennessee. Urban Meyer didn't lose to Tennessee. Uh, McElwain lost once. Um, you know, it was uh, what two and one uh, against them. So I, I, uh, I, I think for the Vols, it's a very important game, and for the Gators, I think you know you're already zero and one in the conference after losing to Kentucky at home and, and breaking a. You know, thirty-one game win streak uh, against those guys. Uh, I think it's big for their momentum um, as a program. I mean, you win this one, all of a sudden you're three and one. You're one and one in the in the league. It's a division win. Um, hey, you're halfway through a bowl. I mean, to a bowl in um, in Mullins' first year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how how it all plays out. I, I'm with you. I think that's a sneaky good game.
2: I, I will say this too, and you mentioned what the best case is for Florida. Here's the worst case for Felipe Franks. They go in there as a favorite, and as you mentioned, most people acknowledge Florida, a more talented team in Tennessee. Felipe Franks goes out there, looks lost, as he often does, throws two or three picks, doesn't make plays on third down. I'm just saying uh, this might be more uh, credit than Kyle Trask or anybody else, Emory Jones or anybody else in that roster deserves. But theoretically speaking, it it could be the last time Felipe Franks starts a game at Florida. I mean, if he looks really bad after a less than stellar performance in the loss at home to Kentucky, he goes on the road and plays. If he lays an egg against Tennessee, I don't think that Dan Mullen is married to Felipe Franks. I just think that's the best. That's the best one out there for him right now. But I don't think he's totally married to that, that this is going to be the guy, even though he's only a sophomore for the next few years.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, uh, I don't know how well he fits. I think they're just trying to kind of get through. Uh, and certainly Dan Mullen can develop him and, 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 you know, work with him and get him a little better. And I do think he is a little better uh, than maybe he was last year. But, boy, it just – you know, you've we've watched him play now uh, two years, you know, and it's just – you just sort of get the feeling, you know, man, this guy, you know, it, it's not – it hasn't happened for him yet. And let me, let me let's say that. And and I and I think Jeremy Pruitt knows that. And I think Jeremy Pruitt also sort of knows what he's got this year in Knoxville. Uh, and I think this is an opportunity for them. I mean, they had two wins over, and they didn't look very good against UTep. I'll be honest with you. You know, twenty four points against the mighty Miners, who I think they're one of the worst teams in the country. Um, they did shut them out twenty four nothing, and they beat East Tennessee State which just recently reinstated football, Um, you know, uh, who knows, you know, regardless, if you're Tennessee, you got the same opportunity that Florida does. You get to three wins, you're halfway to a bowl. You still have Charlotte on the schedule and Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Missouri. um, So you have a chance to to go and and get to a bowl that first year. So this is a critical game uh, for them. But also you're right for Felipe Franks and I, I thought Trask threw it well when he was coming out of high school. So I don't I don't know what the situation is there. Maybe he doesn't have the mobility uh, that they need or, or whatever within that system.
2: I, I think Dan Mullen knows with his current roster, Dak Prescott's not walking through that door. No. There, there's just there's nobody that fits that kind of profile in terms of uh, ability. On, on that Florida roster uh, As we wind down JC anything else Any closing thoughts here as we say goodbye
3: Well I, I'm curious to see how many points Syracuse scores against UConn I, I think I looked at a stat the other day UConn is giving up 9.1 Yards per play <laughs> And uh, and and the Q's Look man break up the Q's Because they are 3-0 and And they play UConn This weekend at the Dome and then they go to Death Valley the next weekend for a noon kickoff against the Tigers, and they beat Clemson last year. I don't think there's a chance in heck they're going to win this year, but right. uh, you know, for you know, that, that's a good good deal by Dino Babers is, you know, getting to four and zero and playing a big national type game um, at Clemson in a couple of weeks. I think that's yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well.
2: Well, I was just going to say on that point. I'm glad you brought that up because I, the ACC as a whole, ACC as a whole, we were all told going back to their media days that this was a much deeper league and a much better league. I I'm not seeing it yet. I mean, I see a Georgia Tech program that's floundering. Uh, I see a Florida State program that could have a another tumultuous season. Uh, I I look at Miami and they got humbled dramatically against LSU the north carolina situation is a debacle uh <laughs> nc N- 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 state is nc state i mean i i'm just i'm not seeing it i I'm, I'm looking at clemson so far ahead of everybody else in that league and i'm looking at a couple other teams that are tier two and then i'm looking at a really big kind of pile of what i would consider mediocre teams and i would just say one other thing the big the Big Ten was a pinata this week, right? Was it seven games they lost yes. out of conference?
3: Yeah, which
2: which was the most in like you know seventy eighty years. That the stats like that are somewhat misleading, of course, because you know fifty years ago, thirty years ago, twenty years ago, we were playing conference games in week one, so you, you didn't have the potential to even lose seven out of conference games in a week. So that's kind of a fun little stat to 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 regurgitate, but it really doesn't mean a ton. And I, and for me. Look, I didn't expect big things out of the bottom half of the Big Ten, and at the end of the day, big picture, nobody really cares. Mm-hmm. What, the Big Ten is going to be judged by Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin. Obviously, that's that is a major blow. Can't can't defend that. Uh, but I my my takeaway: the Big Ten has not dramatically changed based on what happened. You know what I saw? I saw an Ohio State team that was loaded and beat a really good TCU team in Texas, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We're about to see Penn State, Ohio State next week. That's going to be a huge game. I think you and I are still of the belief that Michigan has a chance to have a good year, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, despite the loss, a a close loss of Notre Dame. So uh, while the Big Ten was a pinata this weekend, for me, we, we judge conferences by the top down, not the bottom up. I've always said that. Yeah, the, the 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 fan base as a whole, the college football fan base doesn't care about who finishes 7th in any particular league. You when you look at the standings, you don't look at the bottom, you look at the top. And at the top, the Big 10, particularly the Northern Division, it's still stacked. The ACC, when you look at the standings, I see a really good Clemson team that's going to play for a national championship again. And I see Miami and then I see a lot of teams that are just going to be mired in seven wins, you know, in that seven and five, six and six range with somebody breaking out and going eight and four because they're beating up on the lower part of the league. So that's just a little conference takeaway. Since we talked a lot of SEC, there's a little uh, food for thought on the Big Ten and the ACC. Yeah,
3: I mean, the Big Ten West had a, in particular bad, uh, bad. <laughs> uh weekend if you look at it uh you know the byu look hats off to byu by the way because i think you know they kind of hit a dip for a little while and 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 i think they're they're back i mean i think you know i believe they beat arizona earlier this year and some other i mean so that's that's two big wins for the cougs uh akron byu troy usf and missouri uh Handed Big Ten West teams losses. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I believe they were all – well, the USF-Illinois game was at Soldier Field, but uh, the the rest of them were all at home. Um, Yeah. So that was just kind of um, one of those things. Let me –
2: let me correct something I said. The, the Big Ten East, not the Big Ten North is what I'm talking I'm, I'm still in the legends and the...
3: Legends and leaders. <laughs> legends and
2: leaders, uh, which is one of the worst uh, nicknames for a conference. That was awful. That was just awful. But uh, but the Eastern Division is what I'm talking about. And, of course, yeah. you still have Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. I know Michigan State uh, lost a game and nobody thought they would lose. But that's still a good team overall. And, and, then you know, the West is what we thought it would be. It's... It's a Wisconsin team that now is disappointed. Uh, And then it's, uh, you know, Northwestern, Iowa, Minnesota. Like it it is what it is. Like the West is, Mm -hmm. it's not a great division to begin with. So we shouldn't be shocked that a lot of the bottom part of the conference and of that division loses games. That happens with most conferences, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter for most people, because most people care about what the upper half, not the lower half, does.
3: Yeah, I mean, Northwestern and Purdue. I think you and I both kind of felt like those would be two teams that, you know, we're going to contend for the upper half of that division. They're combined one and five. You throw Nebraska uh, in there. Nebraska, of course, had a game canceled. The Huskers are zero and two. So yeah. Northwestern, Nebraska. Purdue all disappointing combined one and seven this year um and I think we like all three of those coaches and and think all three of those guys really you know are pretty solid so tough uh, jobs yeah it is kind of crazy well uh we want all of you to subscribe to our podcast um and go rate us five stars on the iTunes store uh you can get it right there on Apple iTunes also on Google Play and the Stitcher app, uh, which is a nice podcasting app. Also, things like Podcast Mania, uh, we're usually uh, right there as well. So we want everybody to get out there and subscribe.
2: Fair enough. And with that, we'll say uh, goodbye for now. Until next week, for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Borgen saying so long. Enjoy your college football Saturday and Friday and Thursday. We'll be back with you next week. So long, everybody.